A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome once again to another episode of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adibayo. I'm Ali Brassel. And I'm Miguel Delaney. In this all-to-play-for edition of OTC, the champions of Europa, but in the bottom half of the Bundesliga, the Eintracht-Frankfurt season of two leagues. Also, he's made his mind up time, but when will the teasing stop and the most sought-after player on the continent reveal where he'll end up next season? And which Milan will take the Serie A title this weekend, AC or Inter? Should we start with uh, Eintracht? Uh, gosh, what a final it was against Glasgow Rangers last night, as it, as we speak now. Only their second major title, and that took... 42 years in the making, second major European title, 42 years in the making. But then you look at their their status in the Bundesliga and you wonder what, what were they doing in the final of the Europa League? Well, did, you, did you not find actually that I felt for a lot of the game until they got nerves seemed to afflict them a little bit? Maybe the, the, the occasion, which maybe it might explain a few things, especially when you consider this is a team that really eviscerated Barcelona mm. at Camp Nou. Um before, I suppose, the game developed into one that you might expect between a mid-table German club and a, 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 one of the major Scottish clubs, given where Scottish football has been for the last 20 years. Yeah, I thought I thought Eintracht were the, the better side in the 90 minutes. Hmm. Rangers were the better side in extra time, I thought. Who was the better side in the penalty shootout? Need I ask? Well, I, I think we know, but only by a whisker. Um, I think Kevin Trapp was the best player in... You know, extra time and the, the the penalty shootout, which which made the difference, and he's been their best player for for most of the season. But you're right, Miguel. I think so much was riding on this. It meant an enormous amount to both teams because you know a lot of people are, have been a bit disparaging about the quality of the final. But I think when you think a the heat, which mm-hmm. is just impossible to deal with, particularly for two Northern European teams, and b the fact that it felt like a one-off chance for for both of them. Now, look, yeah. we know we know Eintracht Frankfurt have recently been um, close enough. Three years ago, they were in the Europa League semi-final. They lost to Chelsea on pens. Probably should have won, but they had an incredible front three then um, of Alo Ribic and Jovic. Since then, they've lost all of those. Um, they've changed around things a couple of times. Last summer, they lost coach, sporting director. Top scorer, Andre Silva, who went to, to to Leipzig. So to even be in this position is remarkable. But, you know, they're in a very rebuildy spot. So for, for them to even be there, I, th- I think you're right, Miguel. I think the enormity of what was happening definitely affected both of their abilities to manage the occasion. Which is kind of natural, I suppose. Yeah, when, totally. Yeah. I know we'll, we'll get into this in a little bit, but I suppose it's because, uh, as you say, it was about the 
the uniqueness of the occasion and 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 the, and the awareness of everyone, even if it was kind of underneath it all that this really might be the sort of thing that doesn't come around too often, despite the echoes of history. Because I mean, I mean, actually, I'm surprising there weren't more features in the build-up about 1960. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, is there that sense though that, as as you say, because it was so huge for both of them, and because they've emerged from a field of like quite surprising clubs actually if you go back to like the last four or mm-hmm. the, the, the well, last yeah, yeah. eight is, is that why maybe we're sitting here at, at the end of this and saying this has been a really good Europa League season yeah yeah. especially because what well, I think when we all saw the last 16 even the quarter final lineup, everyone had visions about how this was going to go and I suppose there had been a while and where, none of them were this yeah basically basically yeah yeah, yeah completely in fact not, neither club really uh, and well probably the most well I, I know the draw in short it would have been well, Barcelona, West Ham, but still, that was something that was like actually as soon as basically the uh, the group stage ended, that was almost something that had been kind of like mm-hmm. pe- pe- one of those kind of emotional wheels. Well, yeah, we, we're going to have the, a showdown between one of Europe's greatest clubs and the kind of the defiant English club kind of rising above their station. Only for all that to be one of the uh, only for all that to be undone by one of the beauties of the competition this year, which was its, its chaotic unpredictability. Um. And in that sense, it felt almost like the Champions League to the nth degree. Because obviously, we've become. I mean, this is something I suppose we we'll we got into into other podcasts, but the Champions League has this kind of contradiction to it, where it's the same clubs every year, and yet because it's the same clubs every year, it's producing these kind of these mayhem games and kind of these like comebacks that were actually scarcely imaginable for most of its history, whereas. The Europa League this season has had all that drama, but on top of it, actually, a very refreshing variety to it. And and even Barcelona being there, for all we used to seeing Barcelona at the top table, it, it added something kind of, not that it added a, a credibility to the competition, but it did just give it an, an extra ingredient. And they didn't treat it like a lot of teams who yeah, drop yeah. out of the Champions League. They were in it to win it. Yeah, they? yeah. Exa- exactly. Yeah. I do wonder whether German teams have taken the Europa League seriously, given that this is the first German team to win well, the they... Europa League in what twenty five, twenty six years. Well, to be fair, the Germans yeah. always have, haven't they? The Europa. Yeah. There, there was there was definitely a point where they didn't. Okay. And I, I think when you go back to Werder Bremen getting to the final and losing to Shakhtar Donetsk in the last version of the old edition, so in two thousand and nine. That felt quite epochal at the the, the the time because you know there was, it was felt that it was affecting them coefficient wise Bundesliga clubs that, that they weren't invested enough in it as, as you suggested, Don. I think the interesting thing though, when we talk about those sort of clubs, as you were saying before, Miguel, at that point, I mean, Werder Bremen now they've just been promoted yeah. back to the top flight, but back then they were still well, kind Bremen, of the embers embers of a Champions League. Fact, so. fact, actually, Werder Bremen were basically they were a, a staple of. Early 2000s Champions League or mid 2000s yes. was the last 16 game between Werder Bremen and Lyon. Now it's possible it only happened once, but I, I, it's one yeah. I always remember it. <laughs> and, and just just after that final, of course, the first season that Spurs are in yeah. the Champions League and the first time they've been in the European Cup since the early 60s and days of Danny Blanchfowl, they had Werder Bremen in their group. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was they were just about holding on to their you know part of being in the in, in the European sort of top table at the time but they they were very much one of those teams who were on the cusp and that kind of I guess that led to the reformation didn't it of the UEFA Cup into the Champions League the pulping of the, yeah. the, the, the Cup Winners Cup because it felt like 
you know, there, there, there weren't enough Champions League crumbs for, yeah, yeah. for for everyone. So you needed to create this kind of bridge. Well, now, there's been loads of criticism, haven't there, of the third place team going back down mm-hmm. to the... No, I must say, I would generally be against that, I have to say. Well, on sporting principle, yeah. yes, but I understand why it needs to, you know, I guess, create a pathway towards the Champions League for those clubs that can't quite get mm. there. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean. yeah, no, well, actually, I mean, I suppose it's a it's a classic thing what's happened with European football right now, where yeah, they, it's a result they, of how it is. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah, because there is so much financial disparity, they keep having to make all these compromises to bring things back around. And so, I, normally, I would be against what, especially when, to be honest, when you do have uh, as good as they made it and as, as, as seriously as they treated Barcelona. But usually, when you have clubs like like that dropping down, um. I, I don't think it's 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 a good thing. I mean, because the, the way the Champions League has gone in the last few years, essentially, been the wealthiest sixteen get to the last sixteen. That that's yeah. it's, that, it's that's almost been uniform. Okay, some years it's it's fifteen of them or fourteen of them, but generally that's how it's played out. So in that world, I think it does make more sense for you to have third place teams dropping down because ultimately it gives them more of a taste of Europe. And it is, I suppose, it, this is kind of the discussion we get into. Or, getting into with how talking about how the Europa League has been restructured as well but it is a shame this is the way Europe is going in that way that everything has to be some sort of kind of adaptation for the kind of the fundamental problems within it mm. and, and and even the Europa uh, the, the the conference is that it's basically the conference I mean and there's a bit of an irony that's actually it's Roma and Feyenoord two teams that have been in European Cup finals, one of them has won it, that end up in the final. And one of them being from Europe, one of Europe's major leagues because the conference was, or at least the spirit of the conference was to give clubs from leagues like from what, the the, uh, the 10th coefficient down and to sort of have like say Czech clubs in the final. That, that was initially its spirit. Yeah. But because we have these kind of uh, safety nets all the way down through European competition with, with the ultimate example being third place teams dropping into the Europa League, it just it it just creates this, but at the same time, which is the point I was getting, I suppose, in a weird way, all this has kind of streamlined the Europa League because I think for for years the problem it has, as you say, when they got rid of the Cup Winners Cup and it became a kind of um, this almost uh, this this net for the Champions League for so many years. I think this is one one reason why some clubs from the bigger leagues. A dismissed it a bit was because it was just so unwieldy an event it was so mm. demanding for a season and had so many rounds well I think it was the framing of it rather yeah. than the actual content I mean you're only going to have to play like four extra games compared to the Champions League I, I realise that, that is a lot to be fair yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah that's, when that's you true. play those games yeah that, compared that, to your league that's games. true as well I, I think all the other stuff like when you had groups of five mm. in the top three qualifying yeah. um, the, the extra round that we were talking about it was more I guess the anticipation rather than mm. the actual doing it. Because, I mean, a lot of the clubs that complained about it, they didn't get far enough in it for it yeah, to yeah, be an issue that's, anyway. That's true, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. To conclude on um, this subject, I wonder whether the the fact that a 11th place Bundesliga team wins the Europa League will have consequences next season in regards to the way that all the other teams are looking at this competition. Yeah. Now, it's one to win if you can't win the Champions League. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think Eintracht went for it because mm. they wanted to win the trophy, not because yeah. they wanted yeah. to get in the Champions League. And I think that is part of where they are and what they are as a club. And um, We've seen with Europa League in the past, this has brought so much out of them as a team. 
Um, you know, unbeaten throughout this season, despite having um, a, a tricky kind of handover season, as we were talking about uh, before, and maybe not their strongest side that they've had in the last uh, five to ten years. But um, I mean, and they're, they're fans following them everywhere. Um, well, Rangers most, fans. Most, most, of them, most of them extremely well behaved, we, <laughs> we, we have to say. But the, the amounts that they've travelled in to Camp Nou, to Seville before, to, 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 to go to Betis... Their away following has been amazing. I can't imagine what it's going to be like in the in the Champions League next season. Yeah. But also, I do think we have to say just just to finish that, like eleventh place. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a an Unai Emery League season. <laughs> in the, like the end bit of it has been completely written off yeah, because yeah, they've yeah. not been in danger of either qualifying for Europe or getting relegated in 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 the league. So they've, some of the teams they've put out in recent weeks, because they've been putting everything into yeah. the Europa League, in Bundesliga games, it's been almost unrecognisable. Very weakened teams. But just on that, on a final point, I mean, in terms of the numbers travelling and what, it would end up being 150,000 people estimated in Seville. Uh, 100,000 from Scotland. Well, so so so, so they say, <laughs> uh, what was the famous line when Celtic went in 2003? The, the greatest movement of people across Europe is in Normandy. <laughs> now, I, I don't know if that was actually true. But... I think one of the reasons it produces this is because, and we touched on this earlier, I mean, if you look at the Champions League this season, Liverpool are in their third final in four years. Madrid are obviously in their fifth in the space of eight years. Mm. And of course, particularly Liverpool, they will bring a lot of numbers. But it does just, because of the way the Champions League is constructed now, it does lessen it a little bit. For, it's not as much of an event for them because they, they, they will get more chance at this. Whereas the Europa League, because I feel all right, in the Champions League, what only say ten to twelve clubs can get win or get to a final at a push. I'd say. Whereas your old league, what we're talking about, I mean, given Rangers there, and no, I don't think at the start of the season anyone would have thought Rangers would get no. to a, a European final. You could like, I mean, that that illustrates, and I think that 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 is healthy. That what anything up to. 50 to 60 clubs across Europe can actually think about doing this. With that in mind, do you think they start? They need to start making the venues bigger because yeah. you've you've always had these mid-sized stadiums. Yeah. And, and, you know, I always think of um, Sevilla versus Middlesbrough yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in, in uh, the Phillips Stadion, as, as was a, a PSV Eindhoven. And then you're talking right at the beginning about Roma and Feyenoord, yeah. two hugely historic clubs playing each other in a ground of just over 20,000 capacity yeah, yeah, in Toronto. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because um, we want to get uh, fans in, don't we? So when I, I did a piece when the Champions League was being held in Cardiff in 2017. I was doing a piece and all this and the idea of venues and, and the kind of issues there. And I was talking to people in UEFA about it. And I mean, they said like, ultimately Cardiff was probably too small a city to host the Champions League final, but... It was it was just about close enough to London that they made it work, uh, with a lot of kind of late night transport and all this. But just talking to people, I said like, okay, the the Champions League is obviously they know it's a global mega event. They know it'll fill it'll fill out. Whereas the issue with the Europa League is now maybe that changes because of how how the competitions change and what happened last night. But the issue for so long, particularly in the mid twenty tens, is that even. A, Race, <laughs> correct. <laughs> the mid twenty, but it was basically that it was kind of it was potluck weather. So they, I think the the example was pointing to me was maybe the one in Warsaw. Was that was that one of the Benfica ones? But basically, they put it in a massive stadium, and they, the yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. they could be yeah, and they could barely fill it. Um, and that and that's kind of a, a and that is a repeat. Whereas then some years, then you get Manchester United against Ajax in um Sweden. in Sweden, mm-hmm. Stockholm, yeah. And it's just like it, 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 every everyone goes. So it depends on the on the suppose on 
the the potluck of what clubs get there because obviously what English, Scottish, German, Dutch are pretty much guaranteed to bring numbers. Uh, although it's, it's that is a changing, I think that's beginning to have an influence in European football itself. Given say Atletico Madrid fans, they now go in, in much more numbers than they used to. Mm. So another topic that we have to discuss is what happened in uh, France on Sunday, Andy. There we have uh, Kylian Mbappe winning uh, the Player of the Year award, I think for the third time now. And uh, no surprises there, but the surprises, he's being interviewed by um, none other, uh, you, you could argue, than Thierry Henry. And he's teasing us, not just Thierry Henry and the... Uh, the televised uh, audience, but also the rest of Europe as to where he's going to end up next season. His exact words was that he's almost made his mind up time. Now, come on. He's made his mind up, surely, hasn't he? Maybe. (laughs) I I think there are lots of people who think they know. There's only one person who actually knows. And... Or maybe he's, two. He's, he's got maybe to, two. Yeah, his agent as well. Maybe, maybe his mum as well. Yeah, I, I think he's he's got two very good options. I think he's played his hand very very well to get his maximum out of whichever situation he chooses. What maximum salary was? Not. Uh, it's not just about yeah. salary. Well, because if he goes to Madrid, it's so he's agreed terms of both. So basically, if he signs, they both know what he's going to be. Whereas, the, from what I'm told, the Madrid offer is at least. Potentially forty million euro less than Paris Saint Germain a year, uh, so it's not about money. Yeah, and he, he's always said about PSG, it has to be about the project. And what it's intimated as time goes by is control, because of course, when we've talked about it, and you'll you'll know this if you've been listening in recent weeks, it's not a test, but <laughs> you you'll, you'll know that at the beginning. Um, Leonardo, the sporting director, as is his job, is trying to get him to sign a new contract. Last summer, Nasser Al-Khalifi, the president, decides that's not working. He takes over the negotiations. And then, a few months ago, the the real big guys, the ultimate owners upstairs, say, okay, Nasser, (laughs) we're going to deal with this because you've not made the necessary headway. And then he gets to the source of the power. Maybe that's what you always wanted in terms of giving himself an option. But I thought when he was talking to Thierry Henry at that um, LFP awards ceremony. And, you know, Henry's the best person to be opposite him because he's got such a reactive face as well while he was dropping these little crumbs of hints. Is that Mbappe, a bit like another uh, uber athlete, LeBron James, he knows the weight of every single word. And the other thing that makes him like LeBron James is he really wants to manage it all. So there was this um, rather, it will surprise you to know, hysterical piece on El Chiringuito last (laughs) night where um, they talked about he's been offered to stay at PSG, uh, the ability to set the sporting policy of the club, to hire and fire coaches as he wants. And of course, it's cartoonish. It's exaggerated in the style of of the program itself. But Mbappe what he has been offered, we're hearing from Qatar, is the ability to shape the sort of club that he would like it to be. So maybe less superstar based. Have input into the sort of players they bring through 
and how, they, how they're going to attack why, things. Why does any player on his level because, want all of this? Because if you... You know they say the definition of madness is doing the same thing again and again and again expecting a different result. Albert that, Einstein. Right, okay. Killian Mbappe too, it turns out. No, Albert Einstein was one who said that because, that was the definition. He wasn't yeah, mad. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think what PSG are doing in recent years, I think leans quite close to that because they're not getting over the hump in the Champions League. And this superstar-based policy in sporting terms, it's getting worse and worse. Mm. So he, as the guy who understands that you can be a superstar and fully implicated on the pitch and, you know, run the team in a sporting sense, that you can combine these commercial and sporting needs. I think he sees a different way to do it. They know he's hyper-intelligent. They know he's someone on and off the pitch. They know he's someone who has a vision of how to, to, to do things. So I, th- I think if, if they say that we had to clear out the superstars to keep Mbappe, that is their best way out of moving out of this mm. superstar model. So I think it helps them beyond keeping him, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's why, I mean, this just will dictate the future of the club. I was talking to someone kind of connected to all this the other day. <laughs> we were idly discussing, basically, if Mbappe goes, and obviously so this kind of... Because this, I mean, it, it, it could be decisive as to what next, especially given how young he is, how Parisian he is, and Parisian he is, and how that kind of uh, fosters the identity of the club. Isn't beyond PSG to see a disgruntled Cristiano Ronaldo, Manchester United, who wants to play in the, in the Champions League and go, let's put Messi and Ronaldo together at last. Um, I mean, given that club... um. And I think you're completely right, Andy, in the sense that um, now I should I stress that was just idle speculation on our part. But but um, I'm enjoying the hellishness of it. Yeah, yeah, carry yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> but you're right in terms of the like. It's not just a sporting project getting worse. It's also with the Champions League. It's it's the fact that this what 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 now is basically a psychological issue within the squad. It actually uh, reinforces itself every season because the manner of the defeats become so similar. They get into a situation, and, and the memory of previous seasons starts to play into it, make it worse every single time. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I was told that PSG have actually they've they've started to con- conduct all sorts of audits and studies about how they change the institutional behaviour at the club, um, and all of but, this just to keep Mbappe. Well, no, no. I mean, because I think they've they've realised that there is an issue. With this. <laughs> I mean, when you're when you're going out to the Champions League in the way they do, it's hard not to realise it. But obviously, connected to that is is keeping Mbappe. And Mbappe, I mean, we discussed this on on the show before. I mean, if you're surely if you're a, a smart sporting director, the way to actually run PSG now is basically, especially given the catchment area they're in, area they're in, and especially given all the questions even about their identity, given they are a Qatari sports washing project, they're 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 sitting on the most fertile uh, land for footballers in the world, bar Sao Paulo. But I think I think maybe you need him there to get that to work. Exactly, that's exactly it, because he's super, he's a, friend, a local superstar. He's, well, he's a local and he's a superstar. Yeah. So it's just so many elements wrapped up in it. So I mean, and it's why if they if they lose him, it's it's so interesting to see what next. But I, I, it's weird, I, isn't it? How much more valuable it, it, it should yeah. be enough to say he's he's the best player in the world. I know, he's I know, be yeah, the best yeah. player in the world, but he's so much more valuable than yeah. that. Yeah, and specifically valuable to PSG. Like, yes, but then, exactly. but then Madrid Madrid realised the same because they've. I mean, w- w- one thing with Madrid is, 
they've it's not just about again it's not just about because this is what I suppose modern football is so wrapped up in it's not just about signing the best player in the world now it's also about Madrid have realised the commercial value that especially with the way the next generation of football fans and as we know from the Super League last year and another Chiringuito show Perez is so concerned with this sort of thing although I think brighter minds of the club than Perez in relation to this uh, are doing more in-depth study but but they know like so the next generation of football fans those who are what 6 to 14 years old it's no longer they or, or the general research indicates they're not introduced to football through their son bringing their club to bring, bring them to a club or whatever it's basically seen First of all, before even the teams, it's these cool superstars, mm. and 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 that, that that that's that's what starts to foster the connection. It's why in the negotiations in Madrid, media rights were such an issue. That Mbappe wants one hundred percent of his media rights. Madrid, because because they realise his value, were insisting on fifty percent. Now the, apparently there has been some sort of agreement there, um, but and then bringing all this to a head, I think as we've all seen from or those of us who are on Instagram, should I say, and follow football on Instagram have seen. There's obviously so much activity in, in Doha at the moment with Paris Saint-Germain there for the week. Now, obviously, there's a lot of PR around that, but I, I, I was told as well that it's actually a crucial week to the future of the club because it, obviously there's high-profile high meetings going on and it could lead to one of Nasser or Leonardo losing power which is interesting in the context of Mbappe. Given the, I mean, I, I think maybe maybe they have already. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I do think the the Chiringuito line about him Mbappe being effective sporting director was a little bit overstated. I think that part of that comes from from what from someone actually onto me about this today that basically the Spanish media expected the deal to be done by now. So mm. there's an element of filling space about it. Now, if you talk to anyone in Madrid, they are almost belligerently optimistic about this and even <laughs> I, 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 on, on Monday on Monday I texted someone that connected to connected to Madrid and kind of asked like uh, what, what's the latest in Mbappe then I'm here close and, and <laughs> the response was it's even more done than yesterday <laughs> <laughs> but still nothing assigned listen yeah. he's got two at least two offers on the table he's on 22 million euros a year already so money doesn't matter so what does Madrid have to put up against what we've said well, PSG so have got I, 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 think, I think this is fascinating, right? I, I, like, if he goes, I think there's... And, and if you could really... I mean, I suppose ultimately it's, it's difficult to get that. And it would come down to Mbappe saying it himself. But the real story of that night when Madrid knocked him out... Like it's impo- again, it is pure speculation. But it's a, if he goes, it's impossible not to think that he was standing in the burnabout that night as PSG fell apart and you actually look at this, this is actually what football is all about. And when you're standing there thinking, yeah. I personally couldn't have done any more. Yeah, exactly. As, as, as well, I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah. And the, the thing is, all the stuff about PSG that has have made them identifiable and made their shirts appear in pubs and at bus stops and in schools over, over, over the last couple of years, all that stuff like the, the Jordan kit and the superstars... I don't think Mbappe really gives a shit about any of that. He understands his commercial mm. value, but I think he actually wants to play. He's a football obsessive. That's what you have to be clear about with Kylian Mbappe. He knows a lot more about mm. football than most footballers. Yeah, he yeah. has much more of a historical feel for the game than most footballers. And that's why Real Madrid have always been well, almost overconfident, yeah. really, haven't they, in in their in their pull towards him. But here's one on this as well, actually. As you talk about the history of it all, and especially given the way the football market 
works and the flow of money, or ultimately most players will now go to where the money is because that's where mm. the chances of winning are. Whereas, and I, I should credit my, my friend and former independent colleague Jack Pitbrook with this thought, but there is an argument, as Jack put to me, that Mbappe needs to go to Madrid basically to rebalance the market. That it's quite an interesting. Whereas if he stays at PSG, it basically just means more of the best stars concentrated at a few clubs. Whereas actually, we, we, I mean, you only have to. I mean, it's one of the stories of, of the season. I suppose that Madrid have got this far, despite almost being the remnants of the uh, of the three in a row. Team. When did they become the good guys? I know, I know. Well, I mean, but that's been the case throughout their, their Champions League run. <laughs> yeah. They knocked out two of the sports washing teams. Knocked out Bramwell. What was still at that point to Bramwich's Chelsea? Let's see. <laughs> Don't cry for me, Kylian Mbappé. Sur la pluie, c'était bien joué avec Giroud. Oh, Sylvain, il l'a vu. Kylian Mbappé. Kylian Mbappé, il l'a vu. Ça fait quatre et ça fait peut-être un quart de finale pour l'équipe de France. 68e minute. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. As we said at the top of OTC uh, this time around, there is still a lot to play for, or all to play for, if you like, between the two Milans. We were here last week talking about exactly this point, Andy, AC or Inter. And I don't know, it looks like uh, Sassuolo are not going to have much to say about the well, outcome of this. I, 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 if I'm Milan, the last place I want to go, actually. Really? That, that is an awkward, awkward... Um, fixture well they can play and they've got yeah. no pressure on them but yeah. I think I do quite strongly believe that Milan are going to close this out because they, they because of the head-to-head and it's a head-to-head not goal difference of course they mm. only need a, a point at Sassuolo now if there's any league in which one team are going to lose on the last day of the season and another team are going to win to take the title off them is Serie A hmm. we, we've been there on final days in, in, in Serie A down the, down the decades you know you think of when there was, there was that downpour and Lazio won the yeah, title yeah. going back in, in the in, Juve in and Perugia yeah exactly there, there, there are so many others but this Milan side you talked about the, the, the change in balance of power in Europe, and I think a lot of people would be delighted to see Milan win this this title because it's a young side that's been sensibly coached, sensibly built. Mm-hmm. It's not just been a case of throwing money at it. You know, they've they've got past. You know, Inter have the best squad in Italy. I don't I don't think there's any doubt of, about that, and they've not done much wrong in in this home straight. But I think when you looked at it with, say, six games left and Nicky Bandini was on here talking about maybe um, Milan had the, the tougher run-in, they've made mincemeat of that tougher run-in. Yeah. You know, they've, they've, gone and, um, they've gone and won at Lazio late on. They won at Verona where they have their own historical issues. And then you go to last weekend's game against uh, Atalanta. Atalanta, who still pushing to get back into Europe, even though they've had quite a disappointing season. Atalanta, I thought, were the better team in the first half. And Milan just say, we can deal with this. You know, they defend well enough to keep themselves in the game when they're second best. 
They just take a deep breath. And the best of those young guys snap up. Raphael Lau, who's been brilliant for them, all in this running. I think I wrote the other day on Twitter that he's, it's almost a Cantona-esque running that he's had in terms of creating goals, scoring goals. The way he's developed over the last year and a half, two years has been extraordinary. And then Teo Hernandez, the left back scores a George Weah goal. I mean, you know, it's remarkable. From his own half. Yeah, the, mm. the, the, the proper coast to coast. The guts in this team are something else. So whereas there are, there are other teams, I would think, like might shrink at a, a moment like this. Of course, Inter are home, home to Samp and they have to win and hope for the best. I, I think Milan can get it done. You're not convinced, though, Mikel um, Salcedo. Uh, perhaps well, Andy didn't say that. No, well, 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 I, I just think yeah. it's a. I think it's a more awkward tie than, or a more awkward fixture than maybe. Uh, again, I suppose there's there's the opposite force of Milan's run, um, and the, the fact that it's a draw, it, it's only a draw necessary. But I don't, I don't know. I just have. I mean, the fact well, it's it's eleven years since they won it. That weight, well, at the very least, I think it will be a more interesting day than kind of just thinking, well, Milan are going to turn up in Sassuolo and get the point they need. I think there could be a bit of drama here. What do you make? Of course, of... Part, of, part of the drama is the fact that they share the same stadium. Yeah. So they've been working out how they're going to celebrate it, um, <laughs> Milan. And obviously, the ideal would be all back to the San Siro and let's get everyone in. Inter are playing there. Yeah. So what are they going to do? Can you can you clear off? Yeah. <laughs> make, make, make sure you're done an hour after a full time because uh, we need to party. There's, there's not like there's no equivalent of uh, the uh, Sibeles Fountain from Milan actually, is there? No. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what yeah. is the Sibeles Fountain? So that's where that's where Real Madrid go to celebrate their uh, their their trophies. And Atletico have Neptuno. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, do you do you agree with Andy though that the fifth youngest side in the league? Um, have been able to perhaps not have some of the baggage of more the more mature um, and experienced players. And also the point that he was making about the shift in power. You started off mm-hmm. by talking about the Madrid. But, I, mean, I think there's always an interesting discussion there. Um, I mean, yeah, you, you can, absolutely, this is a young team. But we, I mean, off air, we were talking about uh, Arsenal earlier and how, just how young that team is. And there's basically, there's no... This is one thing I think always think with all these sort of teams, and I'm no Zlatan Ibrahimovic fan, I must say, but I think this is where having a figure with that experience around actually becomes important. Because I mean, in these situations, everyone thinks the famous line, "You never win anything with kids." From Hansen and Manchester actually didn't win anything solely with kids. They had what five senior pros around them, and that's it. it uh, uh, that's where I think you need those calm heads. Uh, or that just that almost irradiating that assurance so you're getting the benefit of the youth but not the risks of the youth which is basically an inability to or, or, or basically a susceptibility to situations they've not been in before a similar example what one of the, the youngest Champions League winning sides ever Ajax 95 well they had Danny Blind and Frank Reichard there mm. and they always just that, that counterbalance um, so it's it's why even though this is obviously an impressively young Milan side, I think that there's probably just enough points of experience in it to, um, to 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 counter the potential risks of that. And when you look at that average age, of course, mm. Ibrahimovic is forty. He brings the average age up a bit, and then you've got Giroud who's thirty five. So there are some really young players in there. And I think we're talking about Rafael Lau. 
his journey's been really interesting because, of course, he was one of those who left uh, sporting when there was the attack on the training ground at Alcochet. Um, so his transfer resonated and was complicated. Lille picked him up and then later sold him to, to Milan. And he looked like he'd gone too far too quickly, mm. to be honest, at the beginning. There was clearly potential there. But you talked about the influence, Miguel, of Ibrahimovic. One of his main projects when he arrived there the goals he scored were a bonus really they wanted him to be a positive influence yeah. in the dressing room which surprisingly he is a lot and he certainly was a, a, a PSG as well I think he he raised standards to a degree at Manchester well, I mean, United as well I think it's an interesting thing was that because I, I I find his um the whole persona, which is obviously a com- partly a commercial thing, I find it so off-putting and so boring. But that's it. But, the character, yeah. the character, yeah. and the person are that, two that, different that, that, things. That's exactly. But one thing you never hear about Ibrahimovic, and this is different for sim- for similar kind of mega stars of his era, you never hear about him actually being a quite a destructive de- dressing room presence in that way. It seems no. like he's relatively like people do genuinely look up to him, and not in a kind of like not in any sort of bully way but just no a, it's the story of his 30s mm. and like I said they brought him back one of the main things was to get a tune out of Leal they said he needs help he needs protection on the pitch he needs an arm around his shoulder and do you know what if you look at the before and after with Rafael Leal after Ibrahimovic has arrived mm. it's just if you take away the goals and all that other stuff what he's done for Leal making him one of the best attacking players in the world I mean it's no exaggeration to say that. It's been an enormous yeah. success in that sense. And just talking about the veterans and how much they're important, we do have to pay tribute to Chiellini, who'll be leaving Juventus after 17 years. Uh, people will remember him, if, even if you don't follow Italian football, just from the Euros last year, how imperious he was in defence uh, for Italy. He's going to be a huge miss. Well, very much the pa- I mean, I suppose it may, may be touching on something bigger as well. It's the kind of the final passing of a Juventus era mm. uh, and, and that nine in a row. Um, it is obviously, there's, there's bigger undercurrents there, but it's quite symbolic in that regard, isn't it? They've got a big rebuild on. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt about it. And they've got limited financial flexibility with which to do it. I think Massimiliano Allegri is a little bit weakened by what's happened at the club over the last couple of years and by the fact, as we talked about recently, you see him in big games, like absolutely losing his shit in the touchline. You know, being sent off in the Coppa Italia final, as we were saying last week, he doesn't seem to have the same level of control as he did. I don't. I don't think Juventus are going to be champions again in a hurry. There's a really fascinating. Well, I think there's two really fascinating things there. First of all, and and I think there's actually going to be a discussion we have with Bayern in the next two years, unless they quickly correct issues like maybe you know, Salas. Uh, uh, Sorry, <laughs> and and some of the kind of the political issues of the club there, but I mean, first of all, it's basically how some of these clubs that have dominated for so long get to a, such a point of success that it allows complacency and consequently bad decisions to seep in. Mm. So that's one side of it. But connected to that, I was having a very interesting discussion with someone who does a lot of work in Italy recently, and he said, if you look at how Italian football is going now. And certainly, in terms of style, it's so different to what it was a decade ago alone. Mm. But that's because that's also partly connected to the fact that what like what what's the portion of American owners in the league now? It's, it's big. Yeah, yeah. It's something like twenty five percent. Yeah, percent. Yeah, and, and I think it might be it might be beyond that because it's growing. Yeah. Because it was, it was put to me that 
I mean, American investors for all criticism people have had in the past and all the rest of it, what, what a lot of them are trying to do is basically look at what's best practice in football now. Mm. So what, they do, what they've done is, well, how do clubs kind of defy their status? And the way is basically, it's, it's the Leipzig model. And what's that? So basically young players, ambition-based contracts, also high pressing. So that's starting from the way, it was, the way it's been put to me. That's starting to transform Serie A. Well, you and saw it, that from the Euros, yeah, didn't you? It, the way Italy exactly, played, exactly, reflected exactly. the way the league is. And and in and in that world, Allegri is suddenly because he's, he's a manager. Basically, I mean, he's he's basically from the last generation. Mm. It's much harder to adapt. And what his great skills, especially if you've entered in a situation where they don't have quite the totemic figures that they did, mm. or are those figures that are actually that bit older. Suddenly, it's a, it's a lot harder for his football to be successful because it's not just a, it's not kind of a, an Ancelotti job of adapting around stars. You actually you you you've got an, a, a team in, tra- in you know, that's been in transition for two years now, up against so many teams who are actually who are good in transition on the pitch, and it it, it causes more problems for them. And I I think in, after after such a long period where Italy was basically where the Juventus title race was so almost just suffocatingly d- depressing because of how how predictable it felt. Like, Serie A is, I think, in a very interesting place now. So, let's get to some of the questions that have come for you both. You can get hold of us at any time during the course of a week at Football Ramble, at Dotton Adibayo, at Andy Brassel, and at Miguel Delaney on social media. This is a tweet from Jason. (coughs) For whom would it be more disastrous to lose the Bundesliga playoff? For Hertha or for Hamburg? I think Hertha straight away. Um, Hamburg have been through it in, in recent years, of course, uh, down four years now um, in, in Bundesliga's fight. And they really need to get back. However, I think you look at everything that's happened at Hertha over these last couple of years, how they've tried to make themselves, well, it's, it's, it's been used as a bit of a, a, a sort of teasing line on them, a big city club. Because you know they've been quite forthright about you know Berlin needs a giant and all the rest of it. Their major investor Lars Windhorst has put in three hundred eighty-five million euros for players over the last couple of years, and they're worse than when they started. Um, they've not got that brand of football. They've they're not even winning. Um, they had three chances, three match points, as they've been saying in Germany, to get themselves out of the relegation playoff, and then fell into it two minutes into stoppage time the last day of the season when that Wakaro Endo goal went in for, for Stuttgart. Um, quite how they finished below Stuttgart. Again, it, it's a stretch of the imagination. Felix Magat has actually done a pretty good job in this short amount of time. Stay up or go down, they need a huge restructure. So it's, it's a really good question because I can understand where Jason's coming from with, uh, from Hamburg. They need a bit of luck to, to break their way in the end. But I I, I just feel, you know, there's so much conflict that hurt her already um, that they they need something to, to to go their way because, yeah, up or down, it's a rebuild. And this from Cedruri on Instagram. We have been talking about Eintracht Frankfurt um, at length already, and that might come into this question. Which of the six European finalists are the biggest story? Fancy that one? I, I, I would, I would, I would say Frankfurt. I think it's an extraordinary story. And when Miguel was talking before about how much footballers has changed, you know, this is not a superpower by any stretch of the imagination. It's not um, funded by um, a state 
or a soft drinks company or anything like that. It's a member-run association that has gone out there and won a European trophy against the odds, and I think that's extraordinary. So, have you got a game of the week for us, each of you? Well, I, I can do my one really quickly. It's either of the legs, going back to Jason's question between Herter and Hamburg. Now, we spoke recently, and um, Pete and Kay and Luke spoke recently on the on the Ramble about how for the playoff semi-final in, in League One between Sheffield Wednesday and uh, Sunderland, you had an aggregate crowd of, I think, 80,000. You're looking at nearer 140 for this over the two legs. Uh, depending on when you listen to this, um, the game in Berlin, Hertha's home game, is on Thursday. And the return in Hamburg is on Monday. Don't miss it. Don't miss either of them. I suppose you're going for Sao Solo versus Milan, are you, uh, Mikel? Uh, yes, I suppose that's the obvious place to look this week. I'm weekend. not forcing you. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I, expect, I expected Andy. You've already sold it. I, I, expect, I expected Andy to go there. So um, uh, <laughs> He left it for you, mate. Yeah, I, I mean, I was going to think of one of the Spanish uh, relegation games, but I think obviously this is, uh, given the history of this, given the, scale, given the scale, there's only one place to go. And what are you going to eat with it? Uh, I suppose it's got to be. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so you well, it's, 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 yeah. as well. Huh? Some maybe I'll make some uh, tortellini. <laughs> um, Andy for the Hertha Berlin game. <sighs> Hertha Hamburg. Well, do, do you know what I mean? I think it's going to be a real war of attrition. So I'm thinking some sort of stew or goulash might be the might be the flavour. Football Ramble Presents is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.